Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, the Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Kathy Kay, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Wednesday, February 26, 2014. Today we are reading from the big book, and we are on page 26, uh, the first paragraph that begins, A Certain American Businessman. Um, today's readers on the 12 steps, we have Andy, the 12 traditions, Lauren S., and readers of the text, Janice M., Paula, Michelle H., and Melanie. The reference number for yesterday, Tuesday, February 25th, is 5971. OA Preamble, Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Andy to read the 12 steps. Hi, everybody. This is Andy from New York for the 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, asked, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcohol, to food addicts and to and practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, I pass. Thank you, Andy. I will now ask Lauren S. to read the 12 traditions. Hi. Lauren 
Pass, a recovered compulsive overeater from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be anonymous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, and films. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you very much, Lauren. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinent requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, and then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speaker should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the big book on page 26, the first full paragraph, um, which begins, A Certain American Businessman. And I'm going to ask Janice, uh, M to read that paragraph and the one that follows. Thank you. And thank you to you, Miss Kathy. My name is Janice M, and I'm from Massachusetts. A certain American businessman had ability, good sense, and high character. For years he had floundered from one sanitarium to another. He had consulted the best-known American psychiatrist. Then he had gone to Europe, placing himself in the care of a celebrated physician, the psychiatrist, Dr. Jung, who prescribed for him. Though experience had made him skeptical, he finished this treatment 
with unusual confidence. His physical and mental condition were unusually good. Above all, he believed he had acquired such a profound knowledge of the inner workings of his mind and its hidden spring in his hidden springs that relapse was unthinkable. Nevertheless, he was drunk in a short time. More baffling still, he could give himself no satisfactory explanation for his fall. So he returned to this doctor, whom he admired, and asked him point blank why he could not recover. He wished above all to regain self-control. He seemed quite rational and well-balanced with respect to other problems, yet he had no control whatever over alcohol. Why was this? Well, this is a great story of the man's name, just for historical reasons, is Roland Hazard. And we're going to read about him in the next few pages. And here is a businessman, an American businessman. So he had some money. You know, and he is from, he was from a wealthy family, and he and he had the money and and, and um, the the time to flounder. He went from one sanitarium in and out, in and out with his alcoholic problem. Problem, and he you know he 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 consulted American American psychiatrists. So, but he said you know like like myself, we go to any length for our for our drug of choice, and he went to any length, he went to Europe. He went to Switzerland to find this, um, one of the most profound, you know, knowledgeable psychiatrist, Dr. Jung. So he was in treatment with him, but the problem was he wanted to, to be able to think. He thought in his mind that he was going to buy this recovery. He was going to buy the answer. He was going to buy the solution. But you see, money cannot buy this gift. And he had a lot of money. Had a lot of, a lot of, a lot of money. And uh, he says, you know, like some of us, including myself, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll find a way. I'll go to the best, the best hospital. I'll find the best. I'll, I'll, I'll use all my money to get the solution. But of course, we know, intellect, knowledge, does not is not the solution. The only thing he got was. A big, knowledgeable man, a big, the result was a knowledgeable alcoholic, <laughs> a knowledgeable compulsive overeater. You know, we think, oh, we'll get all the knowledge, we'll come to the meetings, we'll get this and that. You know, but that's, uh, we know that is not the solution. Um, and he wanted to know why, 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 why. Well, I wanted to know why, too, but that wasn't a solution either. So with that, I'm going to pass. Thanks. Thank you, Janice. Who would like to share on these two paragraphs? Janice from Pittsburgh. Okay. I think the first person I heard, was that Lynn? Lynn? Oh, Kim. Kim. Kim? And I heard heard Lauren. And was there a third? Debbie from Chicago. Okay, and Debbie. Okay. Let's start with Kim then. Thank you. Good morning, Kathy. Good morning, all. My name is Kim Jane. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. And I love Roland. Janice kind of hit it, but I just want to slam it home. You know, 
this is the delusion that, that, that Roland smashed for me. You know, because we got to remember, this is the 1930s. This is the Great Depression. People were in bread lines because they couldn't afford food. And he was from this wealthy American family that he had access to everything, everything. And he exhausted all the psychiatrists in America. And at the time, there were three top psychiatrists. There was, there was Sigmund Freud, there was Adler, and there was Young. And they tried to go to Freud, and he didn't, couldn't take patients. And they tried to go to Adler, and he couldn't take patients. So they contacted Dr. Young, and he agreed. And it wasn't like they sent their son there for an evaluation. They sent their son from America to Switzerland to live with Dr. Young for an entire year. At one point, they paid for someone to walk around with Roland and put him to a tropical island so that somebody would watch him so that he wouldn't drink. And we're seeing here that as soon as that human aid was not there, he immediately drank. That breaks my delusion. That delusion that I said, if only, all my if only, if only I had enough money, if only I was like the celebrities out in Hollywood and I could have a personal chef cook, I would stay abstinent. If only I could afford the best gym and the best personal trainer, I would be abstinent. If only I would get that perfect boyfriend and that boyfriend would give me such self-esteem that I wouldn't want to eat. You know, if only I can get access to Dr. Phil and Dr. Oz. If only I can get on that show, The Biggest Loser, or another reality show that's going to make me work out and make me eat right, I'm going to be okay. And Roland busts that mess because he had access to everything. But he unfortunately, like me, has the allergy of the body and obsession of the mind. So it says here, although he acquired such a profound knowledge of the inner workings of his mind and the hidden springs, that relapse was unthinkable. That's what I thought. If I could get this outside environment and everything under control, then relapse would be unthinkable. And yet I would pick up over and over and over. And he wished above all things that he could regain self-control. I wished above all things that I could get self-control. And this man had access to anything money could buy. But that obsession of the mind without a solution, because at this point there is no solution. Dr. Young is going to introduce him to a solution. At this point, he had nothing that would solve his problem. So this man I love because he busts that myth of the if-onlys that I used throughout my life. If only I had these things, I would stay abstinent. And the fact is, if we have the allergy in the body and obsession of the mind, human aid, is we are beyond human aid. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Uh, Lauren S. Oh, thank <clears throat> thank you, Lauren S. A recovered compulsive overeater from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and I, I too, I like this story with Freud and Adler and this man Young because. Freud and Adler, they weren't taking any more patients, and they were stressing psychoanalysis, self-knowledge. You can work with your mind. You can use one of your third, one of your dimensions in the third degree, and thank God, 
thank God that he went to Young because Young said, perhaps psychoanalysis won't work. Perhaps. Perhaps you need something in a fourth dimension. Perhaps a spiritual experience will work. And Young was in a different camp than Freud and Adler because of that thinking. So, so Roland was under the care of one of the top three. He still drank. Now, Roland does not know about the spiritual experience yet. He's just trying to use self-knowledge. And here it says, he tried to regain self-control. Why did he still drink? It reminds me of page 22 when it says, why does he behave like this? Why is it that he takes one more drink? And then it says, perhaps there will never be a full answer to these questions. We are not sure why. We are not sure why. And then it says on page 24, we... The tragic truth is that if a man be a real alcoholic, the happy day may not arise. He has lost the power of control. He has no power of choice. And Roland is a lot like me. He's a lot like me, where we have have no control. We have no choice over our addiction. And self-knowledge does not work for somebody like me. Um, just asking myself why it does not work for somebody like me. However, there is hope. There is hope because I learned that Roland I learned that Roland was going to visit this 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 God given doctor who's gonna stress a unique way to get recovered. And then Roland's going to carry the message to the Oxford. Then he's going to go to the Oxford group, learn about the tenants, carry that message to Ebby, who's then going to carry it to Bill. So so Roland, in a way, who is deemed hopeless, hopeless, is going to be the grand sponsor of Bill Wilson, who's going to found the entire... Bill is going to found the program for people like us, where there is hope. And with that, I will pass. Thank you. Thank you, Lauren. And Debbie, you're next. Hi, my name is Debbie. I'm a grateful, recovering, uh, compulsive overeater from Chicago. And I'm really grateful for this meeting. I've been listening for uh, several weeks. Um, The part about the relapses, the several relapses. Uh, Although he believed he had acquired such a profound knowledge of the inner workings of his mind and his pit and springs, that relapse was unthinkable. Nevertheless, he was drunk in a short time. More baffling still, he could give himself no satisfactory explanation for his fall. Today, I celebrate 35 days abstinent. And I've been coming to OA since September of 1987. Uh, I've had as long as 10 years abstinent. um, And 
what I think the deal is above all things to regain self-control, yet no control over uh, compulsive overeating. Uh, this last relapse, uh, my OA sponsor said to me, she said, I know with your other substances, you would give up blood and limbs before you would touch them, but I'm wondering if you get it that food is in the same category for you. And I told her, I said, I must not because I keep relapsing. Um, and so today, a day at a time, uh, and I'm in treatment with one of the top addiction psychiatrists uh, in the country, but he almost mandates, not really mandates, but strongly suggests that uh, his patients do 12-step recovery as well, you know, uh, that spiritual piece that uh, comes with working the steps, with uh, saying I can't, God can't, I'll let him, inventorying who I am because since I'm an addict, I've always used something to get away from myself. So even though I'm 63 years old, the first 37 years of my life, I use something to keep from knowing who I am. And I'm guessing that the relapses are a result of still not wanting to know who I am. Uh, I'm so grateful for OA. Uh, I don't know what to do. I'm so grateful for this book, and I hated this book when I first picked it up because I was in denial about being uh, an alcoholic. And then when I finally picked it up, I was just in tears. And I was like, how could someone who's never seen me write about me on every page? Uh, and a day at a time, just for today, I have... 34 days abstinent, and I have not had fried foods or uh, sugary desserts since September 2012. And I'm grateful, and I'm grateful people who do service to keep this call going. Thanks. Thank you, Debbie. Who else would like to share on these paragraphs? Well, this is Kathy. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Boston. And I'll take a few minutes here. Um, above all, he believed he had acquired such a profound knowledge of his inner workings um, that that uh, relapse was unthinkable. And um, before I actually started working the steps, I had had a long history of therapy in which I developed uh, extraordinary awareness of myself and actually really embraced the idea that self-awareness was the answer to my problem. But um, as I proved to myself over and over again, uh, knowledge solves nothing, um, which that's in the big book later on as well. Knowledge is not sufficient, and it was not until... I cracked open this book, um, not the first time I cracked it open, but when I actually studied the pages um, and began working the steps as I was directed by a sponsor on how to do so. And then, and then, and only then, was I able to really acquire the willingness, the openness, the honesty, um, to uh, build a connection with a higher power. 
Um, I will never say that the therapy was a waste of time. It really, it was very, very helpful to me. Um, and it was not sufficient to bring about recovery and the um, rearrangement uh, that uh, Jung talks about. And with that, I pass. Would anyone else like to share? It's Leah. Go ahead, Leah. Thank you so much. Heidi? Okay, we'll have Leah and then Heidi. Thank you so much, Kathy, for your service. Good morning, everybody. My name's Leah, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from New Jersey. Above all, he believed he had acquired such a profound knowledge of the inner workings of his mind and its hidden springs that relapse was unthinkable. Nevertheless, he was drunk in a short time. Uh, this is one of the recurrent big book themes that self-knowledge, including knowledge of our illness, um, does not provide us with an adequate defense against that first uh, drink in regards to rolling and first bite for us. Um, it's not adequate defense against the merciless obsession um, in our disease. And, you know, it reminds me of Bill's story also on page 7 where uh, he says, you know, understanding myself now, I fared forth in high hope. For three or four months, the goose hung high. I went to town regularly and even made a little money. Surely this was the answer, self-knowledge. But it was not, for the frightful day came when I drank once more. You know, and I look back in my history, and uh, I had, you know, several at um, times when I was admitted to hospitals for, you know, my eating disorders and uh you know, also sat on a couch from 1982 to 1987 to uh, figure out, you know, the inner workings of my mind and its hidden springs. And, um, you know, even though uh, <laughs> it was interesting uh, when I showed up uh, for my appointments, um, you know, Recovery for someone like me, a real compulsive overeater, is not about medical science, and it's not about Freudian concepts, however interesting that investigation may be. Um, I suffer from a gangrene of the spirit, you know, a cancer of the soul, and all the analysis and examination and interpretation of the inner workings of my mind and how they're related um, you know, philosophically and psychologically are very interesting. They really are. <laughs> but it did nothing, nothing, nothing to affect my disease of addiction. You know, it had no impact. Why was that? It was because I was beyond human aid. I had placed myself beyond human aid. And even the best shrinks and the best hospitals that dealt with kids like me, um, was not going to bring about recovery from compulsive overeating. It was not going to heal someone who was broken like me. If I was going to recover, that power was going to have to come from a source other than human power. They have their place, absolutely. They have their expertise 100%, and we make use of that when we need to. But when it comes to restoration of my mind... When it comes to healing of uh, a spiritual malady, um, what was going to restore sanity for me? 
according to my book, it was not going to be this uh, psychiatrist. It was not going to be the numerous hospitals. It was not going to be, you know, some pills found in a bottle. It was not going to be my inner strength or any willpower I could muster up or any determination. I'm quite a determined, focused kind of gal, as you can see. But none of that was enough. No human creation was enough to heal someone like me. None of that was enough. As human beings, I could not restore my sanity on my own. I needed the help of of a higher power, a power greater than myself. So once I finally was beaten to a pulp, my book teaches me we have to be pretty badly mangled before we commence to solve our problem, and that was absolutely true for me. Check. Once I had accepted step one, admitting that I was completely powerless over food and that my life had become unmanageable, I came to realize in the depths of my soul that to continue compulsively overeating meant continued torture, suffering, and disaster. But so did relying entirely on myself or these other uh, people that I sought and ran after and pursued. Now, if I, finally, when I got to a point where I was cornered enough to realize that I could not rely on myself, that my choices narrowed down to either relying on some power greater than myself or being doomed to a compulsive overeater, bulimic, anorexic death. And the big book says that those are not easy alternatives to face, but they were the ones that I got. You know, it, it, nothing changes if nothing changes. My... Illness could not be healed by, you know, uh, by, by thought alone, by sitting on a couch, by talking it out. Um, it could not be changed by, by prayer alone. It couldn't be solved by other people, even though other people wanted to be helpful. I had to take certain action steps in order to be transformed and allow that power greater than myself to do what I could never do. And that was to save me. God came in through my wound. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah. Heidi, you're next. Hi, I'm Heidi. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Hi. Again, I'm Heidi, a recovered overeater in sunny South Florida. And I thank you to everybody for for being here and doing service. This group is incredible. Um, I'll make this quick. I just want to say that you know, seven years ago when I got recovered, I had never been to a therapist before. Um, I thought I knew about myself. I didn't know that much. But I actually got recovery through the steps alone. And I say that just to share hope with people because I'm as insane as the next compulsive overeater. When I'm in my disease, I'm crazy. But the steps in and of themselves worked for me. You know, I was always trying to fix my thinking through self-help books and more knowledge about uh, my health and well-being and and exercise and weight loss, and none of that ever really worked for me, and I discovered it didn't because that was all focused solely on my mind. The steps have worked for me because I have a spiritual problem, and the steps work on my spirit, you know, and the bonus... um, is that they've also worked on my mind and my body. So um, I'm just so grateful to the steps. I'm grateful to this group. Thank you. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Heidi. Uh, I'm going to ask Paula to read the next paragraph, please. Press star one, Paula. 
This would be Parler, now unmuted, compulsive overeater, recovered. He begged the doctor to tell him the whole truth, and he got it. In the doctor's judgment, he was utterly hopeless. He could never regain his position in society, and he would have to place himself under lock and key or hire a bodyguard if he expected to live long. That was a great physician's opinion. You know, we come in here, and this is something I did not want to do, but that Roland did it. He begged the doctor, didn't just ask him, begged him. He wanted an answer. He wanted the answer to what he said was baffling him. Baffled still, that's what he said. The thing is, if he didn't admire the doctor, he could kind of like blow it off. But no, what does he say in the line before? So he returned to this doctor whom he admired. And he got it. He got what he asked for. The whole truth. You know, we as, and I will speak for myself, I as an alcoholic lived in that line on 23. Once in a while, he may tell the truth. And the truth, strange to say, is usually that he has no more idea why he took that first drink than you have. Some drinkers have excuses which, which they are satisfied part of the time. But in their hearts, they really do not know why they do it. And this is where he was. And the, what the doctor said to him was that he'd have to place himself under lock and key. The thing is, he already was. For it was in his mind. Well, somebody needs to mute. Uh, he's saying that not only in his mind, but physically place himself under lock and key. If he expected to live long, would he really want to live long like that? That was a great physician's opinion. Thank you for allowing me to share in that paragraph. And with that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Who would like to share on this paragraph? This is Katie. Go ahead, Katie. Hi, this is Sheila. Okay, we'll have Katie and then Sheila. Thank you. Good morning. This is Katie, a recovered compulsive reader in Virginia. He begged the doctor to tell him the whole truth, and he got it. In the doctor's judgment, he was utterly hopeless. And, you know, I didn't go to a doctor, but I did go back to an OA meeting and, and ask that question. Because I'd been in OA for years, and I was not willing to do what I was told I had to do. Um, you know, we just read uh, where it um, had us read the spiritual experience, and it says at the end of that that um, willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. And that's what was uh, missing in my uh, program. I was not willing and honest and open uh, to do whatever I was told to do. Now, I don't know what um, what this man was told to do, but the fact is he picked back up, and that was the fact for me. Every time I picked up the food 
before I thought it through. I didn't think through the fact that uh, I wasn't going to be able to stop. I didn't understand that it wasn't the first, um, that it wasn't the hundredth bite, it was the first bite. Um, so until I was willing to listen to people who I admired, which, you know, <laughs> this poor guy is talking to a doctor who he does admire, and the doctor has no answers for him. Well, if you're new on this line, you're listening, and there's hundreds of people on this line, there's hundreds of people on this list who are telling you there is a solution. There is a way out of this home, seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. And it starts with uh, willingness to do whatever you're told. And, you know, that was my great problem was I would say, yes, but. Well, I can't do that today. Well, you know, maybe I'll, I, I'm just far too busy. I'm just, I just work too many hours. I just, you know, well, what would my family say? Well, what will I do in this minute, in that minute? And, you know, I just wasn't willing to do what I was told to get through the next hour. And, you know, that's all I have to do today. I don't have to plan my future every morning. I plan my day. I don't have to worry about, you know, uh, a wedding six months from now or, um, you know, my birthday or anything else. I just have to get through today. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Katie. Uh, Sheila? Hi, good morning. Can you hear me? I can, thanks. Thank you. Sheila H. from New York, recovering a day at a time. Grateful. Wanting to check in um, and identify so much with the, what's been read today. Spent many, many years um, with professional help and trying to figure out why. I spent so much time on trying to figure out why. More books than I can share, more seminars and programs than I can say, trying to figure out the why. A lot of energy was put into why, and all I had to simply do was surrender. But for me, um, it had to be a reason, and surrender felt like defeat. And um, by God's grace today, surrender means I'm just turning my will over because I am powerless over this disease and people in situations that I have no control over, no one and nothing, um, not even myself. And, um, you know, the professional people do have a place and they have helped. You know, I can say that. But all those years and all those books and all those sessions have not had the impact of a simple surrender to God. Just surrender um, and let God have his will. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks for your service. Thank you, Sheila. Would anyone else like to share? This is Janice, just briefly. Go ahead, Leia. Janice. Thank you, thank you. I just want to, you know, it just, well, it didn't just come to mind, but my name is Janice M, and I'm recovered compulsive overeater. The This doctor was renowned. He had the best ability to, to you know, with, with um, psychiatry. He was a specialist. And he, in his judgment, in his opinion, he used the word hopeless because he didn't know about powerless. You know, he didn't know about the spiritual malady that that really, you know, later on you'll see. But later, you know, it's the spiritual malady. That's why we're powerless. And, you know, it just brings to mind, Bill, what a, what a connection 
Bill had the same with Dr. Silkworth. Dr. Silkworth said to Bill, you know, I don't know what's the matter. You're hopeless. It's, it's hopeless. You have a hopeless disease. I don't know what to do because they didn't. At least they could say with humility they didn't have the solution. And so here it is, two non-alcoholic um, professional people saying the same thing, but each had their own like Dr. Silkworth brought the the problem, the grave nature, and through uh, Dr. Jung and Roland, it was the spiritual mal, you know, the spiritual experience. But you know, because they, they were hopeless in their eyes, in their judgment, in their opinion, because th- there was no defense; they didn't have the answer. So it's it's uh, so the problem is not hopeless; the problem is powerless. And then with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Janice. Leia. Go ahead, Leia. Good morning. Good morning. This is Leia from New York. Um, in the doctor's judgment, he would have to place himself under lock and key or hire a bodyguard if he expected to live long. And that was me, and that was really, really me. And a close member of my family also, What what she did was, go away to a, a certain uh like a camp boot and and just you know just watch over what I'm eating and what I'm doing and 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 yes she did lose weight but it didn't take 3 months until she gained double of the, of it back and uh, place yourself under lock or key or have a even today i see so many people who do these um band operations and just so because they want it. And I am so, so grateful that I found you visionaries. And I found I'm learning each day from this big book every day to guide me everywhere and every step of my life. And thank you, I'll pass. Thank you, Leia. Is there anyone else would like to share? Larry, go ahead. Good morning. Thank you, Kathy, <clears throat> for your service. Larry recovered uh, compulsive reader from Chicago. Okay, so so he returned to the doctor, and we admired, you know, and um, and he wanted to know the whole truth, and and the doctor, you know, basically told him how hopeless he was, and that's how I felt too. Um, you know, I I couldn't accept uh, something, <clears throat> something that that could, you know, on a scientific basis that couldn't be proven. You know, that was the thing, and why could I not accept? The, the, the notion of having the spiritual awakening. And the fact, I mean, I read the book. I, I read and I heard people say, no, you just need to work the steps. I heard that again. There were people on the line that heard that. I heard that enough already about the steps to have a spiritual awakening. That's not real. That's fiction. That's what I believed. I knew I was hopeless. I knew I was a prisoner of the food. No question. You're on the line now. You know you're a prisoner of the food. You're a slave. You know that. I knew it. But I, why did I not work the steps to have a spiritual awakening? Because I didn't accept that. I did not accept, I did not embrace that to my innermost being, that, I, that that was the solution. More self-knowledge, more information. If I just tighten up, get more control, that was what I knew. You know, and uh, that was what I tried, more pills, more um, another liposuction surgery, remove the fat. If I could just remove the fat, my life would be fine. 
None of that worked. You know, I have a, I have a, I had past tense. I had a friend. Um, if you're in this program long enough, you know people that have died from this disease. I had a friend, and he was under lock and key. He could not accept the principles. He could not accept the uh, the notion of a spiritual awakening. He had a problem with the notion of religion and uh, or, or spiritual awakening, despite the fact that that you know I told him of your own conception. Write a description of a God. If, a, if the God of your own understanding doesn't work for you, get a new one. Write a new description. doesn't have to be mine. And uh, But he couldn't accept that. So he was under lock and key about a year ago. Um, his uh, fiance, he was essentially under lock and key. And he broke through the window of his apartment to get more alcohol. And he got back in and he drank himself to death. That's not fiction. That's that's a bit of nonfiction. That happened. I have another I have another friend in program whose sister uh, died of, of compulsive overeating. It wasn't on her death certificate. They don't put that on there. It started, you know, with adult onset diabetes and the loss of limbs and so forth, and she ate herself to death. People are dying of this disease. That's the reality. You know, but I, I for years I couldn't accept to work these steps to bring about some notion of a spiritual awakening, that's for you. That's because you, you're deserving. That's not going to happen to me. You see, here's the secret. I, I was too, I was, I was a real, real um, bad individual. They're not, the, the, the God of my understanding isn't going isn't to cure me of this, isn't going isn't to help me and, and remove this, remove this, this, this vicious, vicious obsession of the mind that keeps leading me back to the food again and again and again. And now I'm going to go get another self-help book. I'm going to go get something else. You know what? Dr. Jung was not the spiritual awakening. This, this fellowship, the people in the line, is not the spiritual awakening. The spiritual awakening happened for me unequivocally because I got desperate enough and I just worked the steps and there was no great, you know, white light or anything that happened to me. It just, it was like a burglar. It came and it just, it it has been removed. It's gone. I have to work the steps and I had to accept that and get rid of my pride. The ego has to be smashed. Otherwise this disease may kill me. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Larry. Um, Michelle, would you read the next paragraph? <clears throat> Good morning, Kathy. This is Michelle H., a recovered compulsive overeater in Missouri. Um, but this man still lives and is a free man. He does not need a bodyguard, nor is he confined. He can go anywhere on this earth where other free men may go without disaster, provided he remains willing to maintain a certain simple attitude and so yes um, you know Roland Hazard goes back to Dr. Jung and he gets the whole truth and um, getting the truth and being willing to maintain that certain simple attitude took him from a hopeless person who thought that he would have to be under lock and key in order to just live a long life uh, to now a man uh, that can go anywhere on this earth, a free man without disaster. And so what a contrast, um, what a contrast this is that once I embrace this path, this simple attitude, 
that um, I need an open mind. I need willingness to follow this path, which is good orderly direction, which is if I am willing to see that my way didn't work, that my self-reliance got me the same results, which was um, seemingly hopelessness and possibly needing to be under lock and key uh, because that mental obsession was going to take me back to the same, the same results. But if, I, if I'm willing and open-minded to see that there is another way, it's not my way, I need a power greater than myself. <clears throat> that can be any power as long as it's not me and that I will follow the simple directions that are outlined in this book following this path and seeing that, yes, you know, this can happen for me too if I will just embrace this, this program and, and see that the result of working these steps is that spiritual awakening. It will give me the power that I don't have um, for this disease to be relieved for me one day at a time. And how it works, it says, rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. And this, this path of these principles, 12 steps, good orderly direction, having a power greater than myself lead me, direct me, and um, be in a, in a place in a place of surrender, not in the place of wanting to be the director of my own life, but one who is willing to let go of my ideas and embrace the, the ideas and principles of this program. And like it's already been said, you know, first I, I die to the food, then, then self has to die. And the way that happens, I can't do that for myself. I tried many, many t- times to deflate my ego. And of myself, I, you know, I, I was nothing. But with a power greater than myself and relying and depending on that power and following these steps, my, my one day at a time, my ego is deflated. Because each day when I wake up, my ego wants to be in charge again. And each day, if I follow these steps and these directions that are outlined here, I too can walk around on this earth as a free person without disaster, as long as I am willing to maintain this very simple attitude that there is a power greater than me, and that power, you know, wants health and happiness for me, and this attitude that I need to be open-minded and willing each day to follow these directions. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Michelle. Who would like to share on this paragraph? Is Eddie in Virginia? Go ahead, Eddie. Thank you. Good morning, all. On the line, this is uh, Eddie in Virginia, grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Uh, This man still lives and is a free man. And uh, praise God I can say that today, that I am a free woman, um, as long as it says at the end of the paragraph, I maintain a certain simple attitude. And, um, you know, for me today, that's taking my my God and my program um, wherever I go. And uh, I can go anywhere today. And, um, you know, as somebody on this line um, says many times, um, and, and I'm not afraid to go anywhere because I don't want any of those substances that put me in that dungeon um, before I walked into these rooms eight and some odd years ago. Um, but, um, you know, it's, it's um, as, uh, you know, another person here is fond of saying, freedom is not free. So although I am a free woman today, you know, it, it's, there's a cost to everything. Um, I guess in, in, in the long run, you have, you have to weigh out 
what the cost is, you know, it's that cost-to-earnings ratio that uh, the business people talk about. But um, to me, there is no cost in this program that's too high uh, for me uh, to um, lay out or, or put forth uh, when I, um, you know, weigh that against the freedom that I have in my life today, the peace, the serenity. Um, that comes with this program that allows me to walk the earth, a free woman, um, not bound by the chains of my addiction um, any longer, um, as long as I maintain a certain simple attitude, uh, and as long as I don't think that I'm doing this on my own, that I'm so wonderful, that, you know, this is, this is I'm the be-all and the end-all, which is what got me here to begin with. But, um, you know, th- there is the, um, the, the program of uh, recovery, um, which is found in this book that I have in my hand right now um, that is worn and tattered and, you know, uh, from many, many readings and marked. And, um, you know, I would, uh, and it's, you know, I, I, I know people in the program whose books are literally falling apart and put together with, um, you know, uh, duct tape, but they won't get a new one because they say, and I can understand that the longer I'm in this program, the more I understand that, that this book has certain um there are certain qualities that this book has that, you know, a new book just wouldn't have. And, and it's all there. The, the experiences, I, it sounds kind of strange, but the experiences of, of, of the years that, you know, go into all these markings and all these creasings and all these dog-eared pages that we have. And it represents, to me, you know, my walk to freedom. So this book is, uh, you know, with me all the time. It's on my kitchen table. It never goes away. I open it up in the morning for the meetings. I go to bed, you know, at night. It's on my table. Which I know where it is at all times if I need it. And, uh, you know, it's that certain attitude that uh, allows me to walk this earth, and that's part of it, you know, knowing that this program is uh, absolutely essential to maintaining the serenity and the peace uh, and the freedom that this program has given me. And, you know, as people, you know, often say, you know, you never graduate, you never grow up and walk away, um, and that's okay because what would I do if I did that? Where would I go? I'd go back to the food. I have no doubt in that at all in that mind. I'd go back to that way of living that, um, you know, made me that selfish um, self-serving individual that I was. And, um, you know, I know for sure, one thing that I know for sure is that I don't want to be that person today. So um, I thank you for the opportunity to share. I don't, I don't get to, to share as often these days as, as I used to, but thank you for the opportunity to share. And um, I wish everybody on the line a peaceful, happy, abstinent day. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Eddie. We have time for one more share. Who would like to share? Hi, Hilda. Okay, I heard Hilda, and who else? Alan. Okay, maybe each of you could take a short share. Thank you, Hilda. Yeah, I'm there. I'm always short. <laughs> this is Hilda and Gapulsive Overreader. Um, it's interesting how I, I always come on the line when I need and I hear what I need to hear, which is um, about, you know, um, working the steps. Um, I, in terms of me feeling like a free woman, I feel free from my, my compulsion to eat for the most part, but I'm still relying too much on myself instead of turning it over to God. But it's such a great program that somebody called me up in the morning to remind me there's somebody from program, and I just I really want to turn it over because I have a really hard day ahead um, and just to know that I'm not in charge and that, that God is and that he will guide me. And uh, I'm just so grateful for the program to be able to 
not go in a panic attack on the way there and during the court hearings and all that. Um, and, and please, I hope God blesses me and my, my children. And, and, and I am blessed also by having this program. Thank you so much. Thank you, Hilda. And Alan. Hi, this is Alan. I'm a food addict. Um, I, you know, for the last 10 or 12 years, I've, I've managed a coffee shop, bakery, and, uh, you know, I've seen, uh, that's been a big part of my disease anyway. I remember years ago before program, I worked with this girl, um, and one day she gave me her notice to leave and quit. And I thought nothing of it and heard later that she was uh, going in for a lap band surgery and that her doctor had recommended that she should really take herself away from places like that. They wouldn't be good for, they wouldn't make it easy for her to avoid eating in ways that would kill her. And this is before program for me, but I remember thinking at the time, as a person who, who was well aware of his own addiction to food, that how insane that was, that there's just no way, no way that you could possibly isolate yourself, build, you know, four brick walls around you to keep all of, uh, you know, danger, quote unquote, dangerous foods out of your experience. You know, that wasn't, that was just an insane thing for me to think. And, um, you know, that when I first read this part in the big book years ago, it was the uh, the first time I'd ever even thought about that concept, you know, that this man still lives today. He still walks the earth. He goes wherever he wants to. And that's amazing. You know, that's not something that everybody who comes into these rooms can do. But I think for most of us who've had a spiritual shift, um, we lose that desire to eat. And especially the, the foods that we know are going to make us sick, they're going to make us uh, in pain or going to make us be self-centered and hurt other people. And I am just so thankful so grateful beyond words that I can go anywhere today and not even have to worry about whether or not I'm going to have the desire to eat. And, um, and I have this program and this book to thank for that. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Alan. Um, thank you, everyone who has shared today and who's here today. Uh, we will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Melanie, would you please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Hi. Yes, thank you, Kathy. My name is Melanie. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Oregon. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourselves to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Pass.